This week on Buffy the Gilmore Slayer. Uh, Are you okay? I just have thoughts I can't say. We all do. Hello, and welcome to Buffy the Gilmore Slayer. I'm Brian Morris. I'm Stacey Kulo. We're comedians. And a couple. And I've never seen Gilmore Girls. Which is a show that I love, but I've never seen Buffy the Vampire Slayer, one of Brian's favorite shows. So we're watching both shows together, all seven seasons, comparing them as we go. And this week, we watch season three, episode ten of both shows, starting with Gilmore Girls, That'll Do Pig. As well as Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Amends. These are both um, different episodes. Even though there's similarities, like always, I feel like the tone of both episodes is very different. Oh, shoot. We have to decide which one was better, don't we? We do. We do. Mm -mm. Yes. They were different. They weren't bad. They were both good, I thought. Yeah. Both had some flaws, but we'll get into all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How was your show? You had a real-life show. I had a real-life sketch show. I don't know why I'm asking. I was there. <laughs> Two sketches in it. It went great. It was really fun because you had to prove that you were vaccinated, so just like it just felt like a real safe place. Yeah. And like a full crowd again. It was crazy to perform in front of a full crowd. It's been a long time. But then we went out to a bar afterwards and hung out with friends. It just felt like a normal night in New York City again. It really did. Anyway, I recommend it. Come to our shows. Yeah. <laughs> Go if, to a bar afterwards with us. If you're ever in New York City, contact us. We'll let you know when the nearest show will be. I'm going home again. Again? It's like you want to get away from me. I know. All you did was spend a year completely with me every second of it, and now you want to spend time apart for a little bit? Yeah, I do. No, I'm going home for my niece's graduation party, which is going to be a surprise. She doesn't know I'm coming because I went home a little bit ago, so she thought I wasn't coming. But by the time this comes out, it's already happened. And I don't know if she listens to this. Anything else new with you? I just read Forever War, which I really liked. It's an older book. Some of it didn't age well, but some did. It's just, it's just interesting. That's it. So you recommend? I recommend it, but keep in mind it was written a long time ago. It was one of those books that was sort of an important book at the time, I think, and was progressive for the time. But now it's definitely problematic. But still, if you keep in mind, like, definitely the author thought what he was doing was progressive. I can't wait to find out what all this vagary is. It's got a woman character. It's crazy. Whoa. I know. It's unbelievable. She doesn't have any lines, but she's in it. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm reading The Handmaid's Tale, which is maybe the opposite. Intentionally problematic. Yeah. Should we get into our shows? Let's do it. So this week, we started with Kilmar Girls. Brian, tell us about That'll Do, Pig. So this episode is about Emily and Lorelai sort of bonding over both having difficult mothers, <laughs> which is kind of fun. Yeah. And also it's about Rory navigating her relationship naively with Jess and Dean. Mm. I said that weird. She's not in a relationship with Dean. She has a relationship, a friendship with Dean. She does now. The episode starts with the Gilmore girls walking through the town, and Lane is there, and we find out that she's going to be practicing in Lorelai's garage, her band, because obviously she needs to hide this from her mother, who would not approve. We also set up that there's going to be a big winter festival, and we can tell there's a winter festival coming because we've got that sweet, beautiful, fake snow everywhere. It's so clearly fake. Yeah, I was really distracted by the fact that they're clearly in California. I was waiting to see a snowman made of styrofoam again, but... Not yet. We also find out that Lane's in a marching band that's going to be at the Winter Festival. And Lorelai makes a joke about them raising money for their uniforms. If they were selling Ethan Rain's band candy, they could probably get new uniforms pretty quickly. Ethan has a last name? Yeah, it's Rain. I, know, I don't know if that's been said in the show, but I, I know that's his last name. Can't believe you told me. Yeah, it's a big spoiler. There's a funny joke here where Lorelai's like, you're in two bands? And Lane's like, music's my life. And she's like, hey, Mrs. Kim. And Lane freaks out. I didn't think that was funny, but um, <laughs> it's fine if you thought it was funny. Why didn't you think it's funny? I just didn't. I don't know. Well, this is going to be a contentious episode. I know it was meant to be a joke, and it was sweet to see Lorelai then put her arm around Lane like, I'm just joshing you. We're friends. We're best buddies. We're the same age. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was nice. The next scene is at school at calculus class, and Paris is not paying attention, which obviously is out of character for her. She's not taking notes at all. And then when class ends, she was like, oh, did we have class? I didn't do anything. She was like doodling a Christmas tree. Paris is super distracted because she is in love. She spent Christmas with her boyfriend Jamie's parents, and they got along swimmingly, I guess. And she loves Christmas now. She thinks Hanukkah is very boring, super into Christmas. She doesn't believe in any of the Bible stuff because she apparently had a very spirited debate about whether or not Jesus was actually the Son of God. But everyone in his family was down with that, I guess. 
Jamie has told her that he loves her. So she is smitten. You know it's serious when Paris isn't paying attention to calculus. She loves that stuff. But she also decides that she's got too much in her plate right now. So she's going to cancel the supplementary student council meeting this week. Apparently, Paris insisted that they have two student council meetings a week. Two. I was a student council president, and I only went to, like, three meetings. I wasn't good, but still. I don't even know what our student government even did, if anything. Maybe at the school it's more important. Yeah, the scene was a little weird, though, because there was weird references to Judaism. Like, I think it was Madeline or Louise. Somebody mishears an exponent and said, oh, did you say to the Jew power? Like, ah, what? And also, obviously, Paris is like, Hanukkah sucks. But I guess the real takeaway is that Paris is in a relationship now, and it's going well somehow. I don't know how anyone can stand Paris, but somebody does. But also, Francie overhears that Paris is canceling the meeting. Yes. And you can tell that she's up to something. The fact that we see her, we know something's going to happen with her. She doesn't just randomly show up. She's a puff, right? Or is it piff? Poof? It's puff. It's puff. Puff. And Paris is very excited to go back for Easter so she can debate more Christianity with Jamie's grandpa. (laughs) That sounds like a nightmare, man. (laughs) Yeah, that's like the opposite of what you want. Yeah, I mean, apparently, if Jamie's anything like her, maybe his family is all about spirited debates about deeply held religious beliefs. I remember we played Cards Against Humanity with your family one time, and Barack Obama was like one of the cards somebody had, and I was like sweating. But my ancient grandmother said Bill Cosby's cock, and that's all I ever needed. Yeah, that was awesome. I mean, it had nothing to do with the game. She just sort of blurted it out in the middle of a meal, and we are like, what's going on? It was a memory she had. (laughs) Weird. (laughs) Just kidding. Then we have a quick scene at the end that's super funny, I actually thought. Michelle is, like, saying a greeting in Hungarian, or he's supposed to anyway, but apparently he says something very bad instead, (laughs) and he just, like, grabs a Hungarian dictionary to look up with what he just said. It felt like a mobster meeting or something. Yeah, this whole little side game is very funny. Like, at some point, he's like, it's okay, it's under control, as long as we pay the ransom, and we'll get the busboy back. That was all very funny. The reason we have this scene, though, is because the inn is where Emily makes all of her phone calls. Mm -hmm. She calls to tell Lorelai that they're going to have a birthday party for Richard. It's on, even though Lorelai had no idea it had been canceled or they weren't going to have one. Emily uses this phone call to, like, just gush about this gift she's super proud of, like a cigar humidor. It's from, like, a general from World War I, and there's some carvings in the bottom she's really excited about. I don't know if you noticed, but when Emily's on the phone, there's a maid, like, polishing some silver, and Emily starts by handing her gloves no, I didn't. to wear, and then she, like, re-hands her something she already polished. That's funny. It's funny. It's good choreography. And the maid's like, oh my god, like rolling her eyes. Emily's kind of the worst. But also the best. So then Lorelai goes home, and then we have this really weird scene where Dean shows up. Well, first she sees a spider on the ground that she can't deal with, that she like covers up with a cup, and then Dean just like comes in the back door. He does knock. I don't remember if she said to come in, but like why wouldn't he not come to the front door? Yeah, why do we start at the back? I've seen him waiting at the front door before. So he comes in the back door with a bunch of Rory stuff in a box. This scene honestly seems, I know I've said this is a joke before, but it seems flirty almost between Dean and Lorelai. Yeah, it, I mean, I know it wasn't going to be, but I was like, oh, I wonder if Brian's thinking that's where this is going. It, and they're like, they're like both the same height. <laughs> and like, Dean looks like an adult now. And I'm like, are you guys going to hook up? That's an interesting plot twist I want to explore. And like Rory walks in on it and it's all yeah. awkward. I just want to point out they are not the same height. You're, okay, you're right. But he is much taller than Rory. Yes. And Lorelai is a more manageable height for him. Sure. Um, that's what he says to her, then they kiss. Mm-hmm. He deals with the spider. He takes it outside. You know, he's a hero. Rory's like kind of weirded out by him being there. She insists she's not to her mother. And her mother's like, okay, sure, if you say so. Uh, and then she takes that box into her room and like sad Gilmore Girl music plays. She's thinking about the relationship. It's reminiscent of when they broke up in season one and then she found that box of stuff of his. But she gets over it pretty quick, because the next scene is her walking with Jess, just making out on the go. Just everywhere. Yeah, they're just like kiss walking, which I guess is a thing people do. I generally don't kiss and walk at the same time. It's dangerous here in New York. Yeah, that's true. But while they're kiss walking, Rory's trying to convince him to like come to the Winter Festival, because of course, Rory goes to every single event in this town, no matter how dumb or idiotic. To be fair... It seems like Jess does too. (laughs) Well, it's funny because she's like, hey, I want you to come to this. He's like, "Uh, no, I'm not doing that. Well, first he's like, hey, I'm doing some of my best work here, his kissing, which is a bit much for anyone to say. And you keep talking, which is like, awesome. You're not toxic, dude. Dean did the same thing. Roy was trying to tell him something once and he's like, no, I want to kiss. I don't want to talk. Yeah, I know. He was being a lot then too. (laughs) 
Maybe Rory's kisses are just so goddamn good. You just, I hate to stop, you know? If you are listening, Alexis Budell, both of us would like to kiss you. Yeah, I want that. <laughs> I want both of us to kiss you. Mm, okay, retracted. Jess actually calls her out on this and is like, why do you go to all these events? And she's like, I don't know. I just always have. I don't have an excuse. It's just in the writing of the show. But she's like, you also go to these events. And she lists like all the things he's gone to, like that Tisket Tasket Basket Festival and the dance marathon. And he's like, yeah, but that's when I was trying to get you. Now I got you, so I don't got to. Can we just say that like Jess comes off like a total jackass this whole episode like just a real asshole this is why i was not team jess at all as a youth i'm not saying i have an opinion yet on him now but it's just like yeah did you think he was gonna like do all this weird shit she likes to do with her mom like dean was a bit more of like a pushover and could be convinced to do those things where i feel like jess is like no way he's going to this i just feel like jess is just mean about it too he's not like hey you know i don't want to go it's not my thing He's just like, nope, not doing it. By the way, I'm great at making out, and we should be doing that instead of you talking. But that's not it. Later, he's an asshole, and we'll get to that. Yeah, Dean was kind of the same way. He was always really reluctant to go to things, but, like, he would go. But to be fair, all these events are dumb. You're a bit of a Jess. I would go to these things, but you'd be watching so much BattleBots. We don't know what Jess's BattleBots is yet. I think it's making out, boo. (laughs) I think... It's cigarettes and making out. I don't know. Just telling someone to stop talking so you can make out publicly while you're walking. It's like, this isn't even really a make out situation right now. The last time you tried to multitask, Jess, you crashed a car. So, like, maybe slow down a bit. So the two show up at Luke's, and they're going to go upstairs to look at a book. Is that right? It, she says he's going to, like, help her with her schoolwork, but it's all, like, subtext. Yeah, they're going to make out, and it's going to be intense. Yeah, they might go on the bed, I bet. Yeah, I mean, you see how it is when they're walking and talking. Take away those two things? Oh, my God. But before they can go upstairs, Lorelai shows up with... A bunch of gifts for her dad. And she's like, where are you going? And they're like, oh, nowhere. She's bought a coin sorter, a tie, and a scale for her dad because she doesn't know what to get him. All those are terrible gifts. He does constantly wear a bow tie. Yeah, but it's just still like... Yeah, it's not very inspired. Yeah, it's just like, we know this one thing about you, dad. So Rory is like, I can help you find a better gift because she's already gotten her dad like a super good record he's really into. So she's like, I I can help you find one. And Lorelai's all like, oh, thank God that you're my daughter. Also, Lorelai's wearing just a lot of pink right now. (laughs) Just really stood out. Afterwards, Rory goes outside, and then she, like, bumps into Dean, and this just looks so intentional. Like, I don't think it's Dean intentionally bumped into Rory, or do you? Do you think that's what happened, or do you think that the actors are just like, we're supposed to run into each other now? I, I don't think Dean did it on purpose, no. No, they have a friendship meet cute, I guess, and they're like, oh, this is uh, weird. Um, mm, um, can we maybe get coffee? And they can't go to Luke's, obviously. They don't say that, but like, obviously they can't go to Luke's. That's where Jess lives. So they're going to go to a different restaurant. Is this the same one they went to in a previous episode? It's the place where like they did the cake tasting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the woman that they tried to buy the inn from yes. works there. I don't remember the name of the place. but Weston's, I think. They've been there a few times. Once they get there, Dean orders some pie from Kirk. Another job Kirk's got. He's pretty funny. He's like insisting that he goes through all the specials and different pies that they have. But Rory's obviously feeling very awkward. You can tell because she's not eating or having coffee. And just like rambling about the table placement. Yeah. But Dean's essentially like, hey, you know, uh, I'm actually going to go to a four-year college. You kind of rubbed off on me, and now maybe education is important to me. And Rory's all like, oh, that's so cool. That's awesome. And he's like, hey, I would love it if we could be friends. And he mentions, like, it's weird to go from talking to you every single day to not talking to you, which is true. That's, like, such a weird thing about relationships. This really got me thinking, like, it's been so long since I've had a recent ex. Yeah. If you've forgotten, Brian and I have been together over 10 years. So it's been a long time since we've had to, like, make that transition from being with someone all the time to being friends. Like, yeah. I guess I did that a few times in high school, maybe college, where it's like, oh, yeah, we see each other. How do we interact now? Yeah, and, like, in today's world, it's even weird. It's like, do we stay Facebook friends? Do we follow each other on Instagram still? Right. Do and we, we like do. each other's stories? <laughs> What's that? And we do. You mean our exes? Yeah. Yeah, we do with our exes. Yeah, it's weird. It's a little weird. I also feel like adult ex relationships, you don't like have to see them. Yeah. But when you're in high school yes. or when you live in a small town, you like absolutely have to. Yeah, when you live in Stars Hollow, which is about the size of a small room, apparently, it's hard to avoid one another. So I don't know. It's kind of fun to like re experience this general feeling. I totally get that though. Like when you went home like two weeks ago, We weren't broken up. I could text you. I could call you. But it was weird to be like, the person I was talking to every single day isn't here. Oh, so you cheated on me. (laughs) 
Yes. Uh, <laughs> I needed that. I mean, it was it was just for the conversations. She kept trying to kiss. I was like, no, 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 no. I'm doing some of my best talking work right now. Please. I want to talk. <laughs> you miss being friends. So you found a new lover? <laughs> yes. Yeah. But as soon as they say they're going to be friends, they are able to just speak freely and communicate like the old days. Yeah, the awkwardness is gone. And you can tell because suddenly her her appetite is back. She's like, oh, I'll have some of your pie. That's like the writers, which I actually thought was kind of cute writing. Like, oh, she's comfortable now. Yes. It's got to be hard to be friends immediately after a breakup because you know the other person's got feelings. Well, I think we're supposed to sort of gather that Rory's pretty naive this whole episode about relationships. I don't know how much time is supposed to have passed, but... I think it's been a couple months. I don't know exactly when the dance was. No, oh, yeah. But that was two episodes ago, and then we had Thanksgiving, and now Christmas has passed. So it's been, you know, at least a little over a month. Yeah. If they're back in school, it's it's like early January. Yeah. I know, it didn't feel like that much time, but in real life, it, it probably was. Yeah, it's one of those things when you watch it sort of binge-wise, it's not the same effect. Then we get to see Richard's party. Richard is having a great time. He loves all his gifts, the Chuck Berry record that he got from Rory, and he loves Lorelai's Rory gift, which is a book wrapped in a bow tie, which she obviously had bought from him before. I feel like that's a good way to give a bow tie gift as part of another gift. Yeah. But of course, he loves Emily's cigar humidor the most. That was actually very funny where Emily's like, but your favorite gift came from whom? Mm-hmm. But then, much like Dean showed up unannounced at Lorelai and Rory's home, Trix shows up unannounced at Emily and Richard's place. If you guys don't remember, Trix is Richard's pet name for his mother, whose name is also Lorelai. Emily's nemesis. I love Trix because she hates Emily and makes Emily feel very uncomfortable, which is such a fun power shift, <laughs> you know? When a very high-status character suddenly has low status. Mm-hmm. So every time Trick shows up, it's very, very funny. Well, uh, it's so late. Lorelai was supposed to be to this party at 8. And they've eaten dinner. They've opened gifts. So it must be like 10 p.m. this woman showing up. This It's a little weird for several reasons. For one, Trix seems like the kind of person who is big on duty, just like Emily and Richard, and big on uh, ceremony. So it doesn't really make sense that she would ever show up unannounced. Yeah, I, I feel the same. Especially because like her first comment to Emily is like, I hate to be the one to say this, but um, we shouldn't be having this greeting in this room because then it puts me in the awkward position of having to invite myself in. I was like, well... You did invite yourself. Yeah. <laughs> they could have been at the movies right now. Yeah. I know movies weren't around when you were a kid, but they are now. So immediately she's nagging Emily hard. <laughs> like, yeah, Emily comes in, she's like, oh, you're still here. <laughs> yeah, it's like a it's a crazy comment, actually. It's very funny, but like, I have to say I do think it's kind of absurd that Richard wouldn't call his mom out for some of this. I feel like I hear rumblings of men having relationships with their moms like this where they just like don't defend their wives at all I, I don't know anyone personally like that but I don't know I feel like I see that on the internet sometimes yeah I suppose so uh I don't know if my mom was doing something like this to you I would definitely at least check in with you be like that was too much right before you know maybe I would check in with you before I scolded my mother <laughs> you hear that Kamo? we're coming for you just kidding just kidding she's nice to me all the stuff with Trix, this whole episode's pretty funny. She lives in England, but she's thinking of coming here to the States because the house she rented is now free. The house she rented, by the way, was being rented to Corn. That was very funny. Corn. Remember that band, Corn? Who took a took a? That's not it. Are you thinking of Oahaha? It's not Corn. Isn't it? No, Corn sang Freak on a Leash. Well, they sang a lot of stuff. I can't think who that is, but it's not Corn. It just, it was cute to see the word corn come out of her mouth. Yeah. And she loves them. Apparently they were great tenants. They planted a bunch of stuff on the property. That's beautiful. But then she's very anti-plant a second later. Yeah, I know. And then Emily's like, oh, well, maybe we can go to the Arboretum. And she's like, why would I be so interested in plants? I'm not a bee, Emily. (laughs) (laughs) Richard loves it. He like laughs so hard Mm -hmm. at his mom dissing his wife. Trix suggests that they have dinner at the inn. She wants to see it. Rory's like, oh, I wanted to go to the Winter Carnival. And Trix is like, oh, you need to go to the Winter Carnival. You're a young woman. You deserve to have fun. You don't need to come to dinner. Then she turns to Lorelai and's like, you've had enough fun. You're going to come to dinner. It's <laughs> like very funny. Richard talks a little bit about the gifts he got. He is very excited to share Emily's humidor gift. And they like hold hands and Emily's kind of like, mm-hmm, see? And then Trish is like, my late husband had a humidor that used to belong to Victor Hugo if you want that. And he immediately drops Emily's hand and is like, I do want that. <laughs> So funny. And then right before Trix leaves the room, she turns to Emily and she's like, I have to do something for 20 minutes. That should be enough time for you to drag out all the gifts I've given you over the years and plant them around the house like they've been there all along. And then 
And then Emily's all like, okay, I'm going to do that. Uh, That was all very funny. Then we cut to the inn where Suki is planning a huge meal and Emily calls. I think that's the only reason we went to the inn. They record all these in one day, I think. Emily's calling to say that Trix wants to see your house. And Lorelai's like, okay, it won't be that bad. That's fine. Uh, Wait, are you on your way to my house? And Emily's all like, yeah, her car's like full of flowers. And she's like, don't worry, I'll I'll be able to let myself in. I know you keep a key and a turtle or something ridiculous like that. Yeah, she's going to like try to stage the house in a better way. Yeah, that's all very funny. But then we cut back to school. Francie is holding a secret student council meeting. The advisor is there. He has no idea that Paris did not want this to happen. And Rory is upset. Francie like lures Rory in so that they can have the meeting. And Rory's like, you can't do this to Paris. But apparently this whole meeting is because Francie and her friends want to use the senior student council funds to rent an expensive mansion for prom. And their whole justification is that it just became available. So they have to have this emergency meeting because it's time sensitive. I can't wait for Paris. Rory points out like, hey, we decided that we're going to use that money for the senior gift to buy this like expensive telescope so that future students can use that telescope. So we're sort of stealing from future students. Now, I will say that I I understand the moral sentiment here is that she's right. But the same token, it's like, I mean, did the student council the year before give you a really cool gift? Yeah, I almost maybe do side with Francie. Like, I'd rather have the memory of having prom at a cool place than the memory of like, wow, what a nice thing we did for those younger kids. Yeah, and like... I don't know. The school should be providing telescopes. I don't know. <laughs> like, Yeah. Or uh, you could just take the one from our yard. Yeah. I don't know if we've mentioned that, have we? Have we ever talked about the man that just like lives outside our window in the neighboring courtyard? We've talked about that guy, I think. There's a guy that just like juggles out there and stuff, but he set up a telescope that looks like it could look directly into our window. It's disturbing. We've never seen it aimed at our window, and I mean, it'd be very magnified. Yeah, I mean, anyone could have a telescope pointing at our window from any other window. Well, this is very clearly there, though. <laughs> Yeah. And it's pointed up at the sky, but like if you pointed it down, it's direct into our window, which is, you know, flattering, I guess. Francie mentions that she saw Paris leaving that day with Jamie. Princeton is nowhere near Connecticut. I mean, it's not like crazy far, but it is like three hours away. I don't know why he's like there. Maybe he's not back in school yet. Yeah, Francie's also got this like attitude like, well, if Paris wants to have a boyfriend, this is her fault. And it's like, you seem like the kind of girl that like has boyfriends all the time. Yeah. Well, the vote passes. They're going to spend that money on prom. Francie's very happy with what happened, but Rory's not. A little later, Rory grabs Francie and brings her into the bathroom, which is funny because it's like a role reversal from when Francie did that to Rory earlier in the season. And she had a bunch of her like girls in there like trying to intimidate her and scare her. And so like... Rory's trying to be all intimidating this time, which is fun. This scene is also funny because she's like, your number one goal this whole year, Francie, has been to undermine Paris. And she's like, no, my number one goal has been to achieve the perfect liquid line. And do you know what that is, Brian? Okay. I think it's makeup related. I'm fairly sure about that one. Mm -hmm. I would have originally guessed it was lipstick related, but then I said something and you kind of made a sound, which made me think that that was not right. So I'm going to guess it's outlining your eye flashes. Outlining your eyelashes? It's your eyelashes, like the makeup you put on your eyelashes? That's mascara. Okay. It's like eyeliner, like what you draw, like on the edge of your eyelid, right above your eyelid. Okay, well, hold on. So we're making a distinction between what goes on your eyelashes from just like the line that you put on there? Yes. Okay. There's only one thing that goes on your lashes. It's mascara or additional lashes. Or a liquid line. It's eyeliner. Okay, well, I think of the two of us, I would know the most. So. Okay. Uh... (laughs) Rory's doing her best to be intimidating here, and she's like, you need to stop trying to undermine Paris, or I will make your life here in student council a lot harder than it needs to be. And Rory points out, too, that, like, Paris works very hard, and she deserves to have some boyfriend time, which is, I think, telling the audience that, too, that she does, that Paris isn't a villain. I think this season's trying to go the extra mile to let us know that Paris isn't a villain. I think it's working on you. Well, I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, they're going out of their way to make, she's a good person. She's just got some problems. Yeah. But Rory's like, I'm not going to listen to you anymore when it comes to Paris. I'm on Paris' side. I don't know. Because Francie sort of blackmailed her in that previous episode. Do you think if Francie gets a liquid line and it's perfect, that her soul will go away? Yes. Makes sense. When Lorelai gets home, Emily's already there. And it looks like she's trying to, like, throw out the couch. She's, like, trying to move the couch herself. And then the next line is, like, this couch is terrible. Like, what is she planning on doing with it? I just thought she was rearranging. But, yeah, she does hate the couch. 
Emily's freaking out about everything that's going to happen with Trix. And then Lorelai essentially is like, hey, uh, maybe I know what it's like to have a mother who disapproves a lot of the time of a lot of the things I'm doing. And I found a method of dealing with that. You just need to find some amusement in her disapproval. This seems a little weird because, like, you think Emily would be offended? Yeah. She's, like, freaked out that Trix is going to disapprove of her for the way that Lorelai lives. And I think she's just kind of at her wit's end. And I don't know. It's like, I guess I'll try this. I can't figure out anything else to do. I can't fix Lorelai's house in a day. Right. But, yeah, she just looks so upset. Yeah. Just with the situation, not even with Lorelai. But then Trix shows up. And we have a very hilarious scene where Trix inspects the house silently. She's like waddles through. Everyone's following behind her quietly, just watching her. Reminded me of the movie Clue when they're like going through the house. Yeah, it was very like farcical. <laughs> very weird. Yeah, she's inspecting everything like an inspector. And then at the very end, she just stops and is like, let's go. <laughs> like, Never said how she felt. Yeah. I felt like the let's go was like, I don't want to comment because it's bad. Oh, maybe, yeah. I would have loved if the only thing she criticized were the flowers that Emily insisted on having. Yeah. And then Rory's like, have fun. And Emily's like, no one appreciates your sarcasm. (laughs) I think Rory meant it legitimately. (laughs) Poor Emily. I mean, in this episode, poor Emily. I know. So they go to the inn to have dinner. More funny stuff happens with Trix. Like Michelle brings in the menu and she's like writing the times down that she wants the food to come out. She likes everything 12 minutes apart, but yes. if someone's not done, they will wait. Yeah, do not clear everything until everyone's done. Big mistake. Big mistake. Trix does say that the food is good, which I'm glad because they've set up that Sugi's an amazing chef. So it would be kind of silly if she didn't like the food. Sugi comes out and Trix points out that she's got like a tear in the back of her dress or uniform and she turns around. And then Melissa McCarthy does what can only be described as like an SNL Chris Farley impression. Like I've seen Chris Farley do this choreography exactly. Yeah, she like explains how she dropped the knife and then like tripped and it cut her back. It was like, what? We've like abandoned the fact that Suki's clumsy too. So I don't know why this came back. Oh yeah, I I assumed it was because she was clumsy. But yeah, we've kind of haven't talked about that. We haven't done that for a long time. But then after all this very fun physical comedy, Trix gets serious and says that she's moving to the United States now that she doesn't have tenants and she can move into that house because she has not been in the best of health and she wants to be closer to her family. Richard is like both excited and sad. He's like, I can't believe you didn't tell me that you were sick, but that's okay because I'm excited that you're going to be here. Emily, of course, like heart drops. She's like so sad that this is going to happen. And she looks over at her daughter and it's clear that she wants some kind of revenge on Trix. So she decides to take her daughter's advice and not finish her food for a long time. Yeah, I think Trix asked for the next course. She's like, I'm not done. And then she just slowly starts to eat her food. And then Lorelai's like... That'll do, pig. That'll do. Lorelai's so proud. That's that's from Babe? I don't know what that's from. It is from Babe, but I don't really know the context. I don't think I've seen all of Babe. Needless to say, Emily is enjoying the hell out of Trix's disapproval. Meanwhile, Jess and Rory are walking through the street. She's once again trying to convince Jess to go to the festival. He's like, no, I'm not going to go. And they bump into Dean and his sister, who's gotten older. She definitely looks older. Yeah. I feel like she's still playing, like, much younger yeah. than she actually is. I felt that before. Now she's like, looks a ton older. Apparently Dean and his sister are also going to the Winter Festival, and they're like, we should all go together. And then suddenly Jess is like, yeah, I'm going too. Quick switch that Rory should have rolled her eyes for. So it's clear that Jess doesn't want Rory spending time alone with Dean, which I kind of get. It's a little weird for her to be like, yeah, ex-boyfriend, let's go to this festival together. I guess the sister's there for a buffer, but yeah, still. We've been together 10 years. I would definitely feel comfortable if you hung out with an ex. But if you had just broken up with somebody, even if it was like two months ago, and you're like, oh yeah, we're going to go to this festival together that you refuse to go to, it yeah. would be a little weird. It's weird how like cool Jess and Dean seem, though, at first, like when they're all first walking together. I mean, they're not really speaking or looking at each other but there's also no tension really yeah no obvious tension at least from dean right i don't know it seems to me that jess is like wearing a face that says i'm not loving this he's also being like prodded by that child super hard yeah we need to talk about this sister her name's claire um claire uh not claire um uh she goes by claire um (laughs) but i feel like this whole scene with claire is supposed to be funny but it like really irked me Because she is, like, crazy rude to Jess, Mm -hmm. but also Jess is crazy rude to her. And I can't imagine a scenario where bystanders, meaning Dean and Rory, wouldn't, like, feel uncomfortable or want to say something. 
I think it'd be better if the actress wasn't like 13 years old. Like if she was actually six years old, like she's acting, it might be kind of funny to see Jess yell at like a small annoying child. But when he's just like yelling at a tween, it yeah. feels more weird. Her prodding Jess is like a kid might do that because she's constantly calling him out on his attitude, asking him why he does different things or doesn't do different things. And like, I don't know, just sort of being sassy to him. Yeah. But he is just like, I don't know, he keeps insulting her. Yeah. But she's being super annoying and acting like such a little baby. I know, but he's not his sister. Her, her brother. Brother's right there. But also there's a line where he says, like, he calls her, like, Tattoo from Fantasy Island. And I'm just like, does anyone talk that way? And she's not that short. Again, could have fixed it with a real child. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think anyone would have even noticed if they, like, got a younger actress. We'd only seen that other girl a couple times briefly. But if I'm being real, this show and Buffy both do pop culture references that are just like, no one would do that. No one would make that many pop culture references in a row. And I just don't think that Jess is a pop culture reference guy. He's like a book guy. I don't buy that Buffy knows pop culture. You don't see Buffy taking in any pop culture. You see the Gilmore Girls constantly taking in pop culture. Well, I would say two things to that. One, I would say that the pop culture he's referencing is not pop culture. It's old culture. So it's weird to make those references. We've seen him watch I Dream of Genie. He might be into old shows. Yes, but when you're talking to somebody and you make a reference to a TV show or a movie, the intention is that they understand what you're talking about. That makes sense. I feel like both shows do that, where they're just like throwing them out there for nobody except the TV audience. Yeah, like Giles is not going to get your pop culture references. And this little girl is not going to get your Fantasy Island reference. Nobody is, man. Rory might. And Dean might, actually. Yeah, I guess. He's into women from the 50s. Lane plays trumpet now? She played drums before. They definitely made a point of showing her in the marching band as a drummer when she touched that boy's hair. Yeah. Yeah, that's weird. At some point, Jess calls Rory out. He's like, so now you're buddy-buddy with Dean? You guys weren't even talking, and now you guys seem, like, very friendly? You were just gonna go to the carnival with him? I agree with that sentiment. That's a little weird. She tells him the truth, though. She does tell him now that they got coffee and they want to be friends. And he's like, well, you maybe could have told me that. And she's like, yeah, I should have. But then Jess is like, it doesn't bother me. I'm fine with it. She's like, you sure you're fine with it? He's like, no, yeah, yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. There's a lot of that this episode where someone says they're fine, but they're not. And then when Rory's not around, Jess confronts Dean. He's I thought like, this looked cool. It just like Dean was kind of down some stairs. So Jess came in like taller and higher status. And it was like kind of a cool, darkly lit shot in the school. Yeah. And Jess is like, you don't think I know what you're doing? And Dean's like, no, we're just friends. Just like you and Rory, we're just friends, remember? We saw how that worked out for you guys. So obviously Dean isn't wanting just friends. Right? Yeah, I was going to say, do you think that Dean is legit trying to win Rory back? Or do you think Dean is trying to piss off Jess and is using Rory to do that? It's really unclear. I mean, I think he... I think he legit wants to be friends with Rory because Dean doesn't seem like the conniving evil guy. Yeah. But I think he sees how it affects Jess and he isn't above utilizing that to hurt Jess. Yeah, which is probably a little shitty to Rory regardless. Yeah. If Rory wants to be with Jess, then maybe he should respect that a bit. On the one hand, I agree with you in like a completely moral situation. You're right. But it's crazy to say Dean shouldn't do that when the last season Jess was just like a complete asshole not respecting Dean or Rory's relationship at all. Yeah. I mean, I get why Dean would want to do that. But just because Jess is shitty doesn't mean Dean needs to be also shitty. Yeah, but he just had his heart crushed and his girlfriend was taken by a complete asshole. I feel like you're team Dean now. I'm not. I don't love Dean as like, I just think he's sort of like a, I don't know, just a clearly written boyfriend, if that makes sense. Sure. Like he's not a real person. But I also, even if he is a real person, I'm just like not interested in him at all. It's just boring to me. Jess is less boring, but I don't like his attitude at all. There's a lot about Jess I don't like. Being a moody kid who reads books... I was that kid. So that's not the problem I have with him. It's just like the way he treated Dean and Rory when they were together was what really turns me off to Jess. And just like sort of how rude he is to Rory, who is supposedly the person that he cares so much about. Right. The episode ends on the porch and Lorelai and Rory are recounting their evenings to each other. Uh, We find out that Emily, when she got down to one P, cut it into six pieces. (laughs) She said she spent 90 minutes on that course. That's a lot. That's pretty funny, though. Rory mentions, you know, that Dean and Jess had hung out with her. But it's all good because they're getting along. And Jess says he doesn't mind that Dean and I are friends. It doesn't bother him at all. And you could just see Lorelai like, yeah, okay. That's cute. I don't want to say you're naive, but you are. (laughs) 
I've said naive a couple times, but that's like that should be the title of this episode. Rory's naive. Yeah. That's it. That's how it ends. I have my thoughts, but I want to know about you, Stacey. Did you think this is a good episode of Gilmore Girls? I did. It was very funny. Yeah. Um, I don't remember being like a huge tricks head, but I've been very delighted to see the comedy that comes in Emily's character when she shows up. I agree. Trix is very fun. I love when she's around. I agree that like the stuff with Jack, like, he does come across as a total asshole, but I was still like interested in seeing all of that play out. And like I said, navigating the awkwardness of a breakup shifting into friendship was cute to see. And I, I liked the confrontation with Dean and Jess at the end. Yeah. The Winter Carnival was kind of a fun town thing that they didn't like dwell on too much, but it was it seemed magical and nice. And fake. The snow all was fake. That's kind of it. It, it was mostly those two stories. Yeah. It's interesting, uh, this episode and the story arcs in this show are different than what I'm used to seeing in dramas. Not that drama is something I see a lot of, but Jess is like a perfect match for Rory intellectually, right? But he's not that amazing a guy, and I feel like most shows, what I was expecting to see was Jess sort of like becoming a better guy because of his love for Rory, but like we're not seeing that right now. Right. We're seeing that she left a, on paper, decent guy. For a guy who's kind of an asshole and who isn't, at least yet, redeeming himself and becoming a better dude. I don't know that that won't happen. It might. And that'll be an interesting story. I've always said that I thought that Jess is going to have maybe a redemption arc, that we're going to love Jess at some point. But as of right now, it's interesting that she essentially made like a bad choice. I wonder what it would be like if there wasn't the antagonist of Dean in their relationship, which Rory isn't even aware of at this point. Like, she thinks everything's fine. That things are going great with Jess, and Dean's happy too. But, like, they've had, like, two confrontations now that Rory has no idea about. Right. So Jess is always sort of dealing with that in the back of his mind. Yeah. Making his relationship with Rory maybe different than he would like it to be. But, uh, yeah, overall, I thought it was good. I, I didn't think it was bad at all. I thought it was a very funny episode. It was packed with jokes, and uh, most of them hit. Not particularly emotionally moving, but, like, very funny. And now for a special segment we like to call Meanwhile Uncharmed. Charmed is another popular WB show airing around the same time that neither of us have seen. But we're going to discuss it anyway. Based only on its IMDb summaries. Brian, what happened on Charmed? Meanwhile on Charmed, Season 3, Episode 10, We All Scream for Ice Cream, the sisters trace a mysterious ice cream van operator who abducts children, but the evil may not be who they initially suspect. Meanwhile, the girl's dad, Victor, comes for a visit. This one's pretty obvious. Oh, yeah. First off, it's weird when these, like, summaries give, like, kind of big spoilers, right? That their dad's name is Victor? Yeah, like, as soon as they're, like, Victor's here, I'm like, well, that's their dad. Do you think their dad is Victor Hugo and he's looking for his humidor? I don't. Mm. So what's going on here, and this is because we pretty much know everything that happens in the show because we guess right every time. Uh, They think that this ice cream man is abducting children, but they find out that he's a demon hunter and there's like a demon posing as a child that he's been trying to find. Whoa. And so they're like, oh, shoot, right? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So then they have to find the the child that he abducted that they free, you know? Mm-hmm. he turns out to be the demon and they're like oh shit we gotta fight him now and they do and they barely get out alive they fight a child well he's not really a child right he's a demon pretending to be a child that's kind of fun um, but also the dad just shows up at the end and it's not a big deal which is what they say to him when he shows up they're like dad this isn't really a big deal that you're here we, we see you occasionally which really makes him sad so he's just kind of like hanging at that house alone with the cupboard boy and Daryl the invisible boy he doesn't know that Daryl's there but yeah no, Daryl's just like looking at him from across the room like for a while yeah they haven't told him about Daryl and he's like still kind of grappling with the fact that his one daughter is married to a dog it's a lot to take in yeah I mean that's like the B story, but it's it's kind of funny to see him like process all these things. You know, like my daughter's married to an animal, my other daughter's a cartoon. This is not what I wanted for my children. It, it, it's funny, but it's sad. Kind of a paint by numbers episode. Yeah, th- it ends with the child demon doing a paint by number, and he loves it. And they're like, "Oh, I like doing child stuff." And they're like, "Oh, just live as a child." And he's like, "Okay, cool, cool." Yeah, so it was a demon that inhabited the body of a child, and now the child's free. No, de- the, he took the shape of a child. I see. But he liked being a child. Yeah. Much like Leo liked being a dog. And the way they do that is Victor at the end sees him because he tracks them back to their house. And Victor is there and he's got this paint by numbers. He was hoping to give one of his grandkids even though he doesn't have grandkids yet. <sighs> and he's afraid he's going to have grand pups. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the kid demon does the paint by numbers. He's like, oh, I like kid stuff. And Victor's like, hey, I'll take care of you. And that's the end. Yeah, real paint by numbers, like you said. Yeah. This is Ben. Meanwhile on Charmed. So then we watched Buffy. Please tell us all about 
Amends. Amends is about some of our characters still working on patching relationships up, like Willow and Oz and sort of Buffy and Angel, kind of Angel and all the people he's killed. (laughs) And really, it's about Angel trying to, like, deal with this literal new demon that's been bothering him and him trying to figure out, like, why he's even back in the first place. And I don't know that we know at the end of this. But then it snows and everything's all better? I guess. So we open on Dublin, 1838. Angel's there. His accent is a little better. His face is much worse. Yeah. What is this mustache? It's also like when you have this scene, you're like, wait, so vampires have to shave? (laughs) Why did he need to have a mustache? So weird. He's going to eat this man, Daniel, who seems to owe him like some gambling money on Christmas. It's Christmas. This episode's Christmas, Christmas, Christmas. Paris would have loved it. Yeah. Gilmore Girls, Christmas has passed. This episode, Christmas is here. Although right now we're in the past. Yes, but also it's Christmas in the past. Angel wakes up. This was a dream. He didn't like it. Apparently vampires sleep in beds in this universe. Well, we knew that because he slept with Buffy in a bed. Well, he sexed Buffy in a bed. That's true. That's true. Something they don't really talk about. Like in other vampire things, they sleep in coffins. They sleep upside down. I guess maybe Drusilla had a bed. She did have a bed, but that could have been for show. She also had a million dolls. She also talked about sleeping naked in the dirt. So who knows? So he goes walking through the town. We overhear on TV that Christmas is going to be very warm. It's going to be in the 70s. He runs into Buffy, who's out Christmas shopping. Buffy has clearly let a child give her a haircut. Yeah, oh my god. Her hair looks terrible in this episode. She's got like four short little bangs right at the top of her head. Is this permanent? Why is this happening? Is she making amends for this haircut? If the hair budget was low, cut Angel's mustache. (laughs) Leave Buffy's hair alone. It's crazy because her hair looks so good all the time, but not this episode. It almost looks good in this episode except for that. Most of you don't know me personally, but... I am Bangs. I've had Bangs for many years. Some might call me ahead of my time. Now Bangs are kind of past, but we're still doing it over here. It's my trademark. I cut my own. I do the blunt sort of like right above the eyes. Sometimes the long swoopies. Not a fan of the short bang. I know some people are, but this is bad, especially. I feel like it can look good on some like... I don't want it, like, goth-type looking girls, if that makes sense. Yeah, but Buffy's, like, preppy. Yeah, 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 yeah. And Agreed. so it just doesn't really work with everything else she's doing. Yeah. And these are very short. Send me hate mail if you want. You don't have my address, so I won't read it. Rant over. Buffy's happy to see Angel, but can tell he's acting a little weird. And then he sees dead Daniel from Dublin out in the street, and he just kind of freezes up. Next day at school, Buffy's telling her friends how weird Angel was being. They're kind of being supportive. They're, like, not freaked out enough about how Angel being weird probably isn't a great thing to be happening. They're just all talking about their Christmas plans. Willow aggressively reminds us that she's Jewish. This is, like, the opposite of Gilmore Girls. Yeah, she needs a Jamie to show her the magic of Christmas. Not that there's (laughs) anything wrong with being Jewish. She just seems upset. No, it's like they go out of their way in this one to be like, Hanukkah's cool too, guys. Yeah. Xander informs us that he's camping outside for Christmas, and Cordelia tells us that it's because his family's bad, and she says she's going to Aspen, reminds everyone she hates them, she's gone the rest of the episode. Reminds us, too, that the weather is supposed to be real bad and hot. They mention that a lot. Oz wants to talk to Willow. He's a little worried about Xander still, because they have this history, but he really misses her and wants to give it another go, so they're back together. Can we just talk about how it's crazy that that storyline appears to be over now? We're not seeing Xander trying to get with Willow or lamenting that he's not with Willow. No, but I would argue that Oz and Willow don't seem like super stable. I agree, but Willow wants to be with Oz like a thousand percent. Yeah. She has no, like, desire to be with Xander that we're aware of. So we're not, like, struggling with these different things. Whereas in Gilmore Girls, we would be struggling with those mixed emotions and desires, conflicting um, relationships. But here, we're essentially just like, yeah, we're not going to do that. That, that, We shouldn't have. I did predict that Willow would kind of get together with Xander. (laughs) Yeah. But I, I, like, hate that they just decided to not... It'd be one thing if they broke up, but then we were dealing with the emotional fallout from everybody. But we're not. We're dealing with the emotional fallout of Cordelia, Oz, and Willow with Oz. That's it. Yeah. It's very dumb. Buffy and her mom are out shopping for trees. Her mom suggests inviting Faith over for Christmas. Buffy's like, eh, fine. And then Buffy suggests inviting Giles, and Joyce is quickly like, nope, he's fine on his own. That'd be weird. (laughs) She says, Giles doesn't want to spend Christmas with a bunch of girls. Yeah, because gross. Who wants to spend Christmas with a woman? God, you know how women are when they get together for Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) 
And then she's like, let's split up. <laughs> like, they're in a horror film suddenly. Well, I don't think she wants to talk about Giles. I know. But then Buffy, like in a horror film, notices that there's a whole patch of trees that are mysteriously dead. And then this worker kind of creepily pops up behind her and explains that that's happening. Yeah, he comes over and like, I don't know, but just a bunch of them up and died. I don't know if this information will be relevant to you later, but thought I'd mention it. Anyway, bye. While Angel's having another nightmare about cultists and rituals, Buffy shows up at Faith's motel. She knocks, and Faith just invites her in. What is, that is insane. <laughs> she doesn't check, even though last time we saw Faith, she was very protective of her door. Number one rule of vampire slang, don't invite people who you can't see or hear into your house. Well, she did establish that vampires don't knock, so. <laughs> Except that they do. Faith's rocking a light lip this week. It's weird. She's usually got like a very dark liquid line. <laughs> I'm just trying to confuse you. Liquid line is, I mean, you can. What do- is a liquid line? <laughs> is that when you pee on a birth? Con- a, a- it's when you pee on your birth control. You, right. You pee on your birth control and if it turns blue, you take it, right? Yeah. I'm confused. <laughs> I need to go to an all-woman Christmas to understand all these things. That's where you learn. Buffy invites her to Christmas and she's like, nah, I'm going to the super cool party that I'm obviously making up. It's in Canada. You've never heard of it. The party goes to a different school. Things are still tense with them. Then Angel shows up at Giles' house, and he is not happy to see him. Angel needs help, and Giles is very not amused by him asking for that. Giles leaves the door like he's going to invite him in, and Angel's like, you gotta invite me, though. And Giles is like, oh, I know. I'm just grabbing this crossbow real quick. But, like, we don't have to have this conversation inside. We've set up that it's very warm out. This doesn't make any sense. There's no reason to invite Angel. I mean, I guess we've also set up that Giles can quickly do a spell to uninvite Angel as soon as he leaves. And he does have a weapon on him. But, like, you want Angel to be comfortable and have a seat on the couch and give him a drink? Like, why not just do it in the street? Maybe they don't want people over here. I would be like, well, come to the window. Well, that's how we're going to do this. Call me, man. Yeah, call him. Like, I, I think you tortured me for hours. I understand it's not the same guy, okay? I, Because I, someone's going to be like, it's not the same guy. I know that. But that never, how would you ever trust that person again? Even if you know they have their soul now, they could be faking it. He's a little in and out of both guys this episode also. Yeah, yeah. But I do like Giles' general tood in this Mm -hmm. scene. A little bit tough Giles. He wants help figuring out why he was allowed to come back to Earth. Doesn't make any sense. We all want to know too. Giles is like, well, I don't want you to have peace of mind though. So why would I help you? Because then you just become evil again if you're like happy. And then Jenny shows up. Not really. Only Angel can see her. And then Angel just like freaks out and runs away, goes home, goes to sleep. He has another dream about maiming a maid named Margaret who has a son. Did you write these down? Yeah. (laughs) And then he sees Buffy in his dream. Buffy sees him. It's not a good thing. They're weirded out that they're seeing each other. He wakes up, sees Jenny again, and she says she's always there. And then she morphs into Daniel, the guy from the beginning, and says something about wanting to help him know who he is. Buffy's telling Giles about her side of the dream, and then Giles kind of like reluctantly agrees to help her figure out why he's back. Why weren't they already trying to figure that out? That's like a huge mystery. There's a lot of plot holes here. They should have been looking that up day one. As soon as Angel's back, why the hell is he back? Well, there was a whole thing where we were in a different timeline. They didn't experience any of that. And, uh... Cordelia almost died, so maybe they've been busy. Giles was on that retreat. <laughs> he had packed for that for a while. Yeah, it was a very important retreat. It was the first, like, watch retreat he was ever invited to, so I yeah, guess that makes sense I, he was I, excited. He was distracted. And then Xander pops in. He was just, like, around the corner listening, and he's, like, super eager to help figure this out, too. What's changed here? Why is he, like, excited to figure out Angel's deal? I feel like this is... Because the title of this episode is Amends, I don't think it's just about Angel's Amends. Mm. I think this was Xander being like, hey, I know things aren't perfect between us. I know I've said some stuff that was hurtful. Like, I want to do what's right. Okay. And then Willow just randomly shows up. It's a big old research pizza party. Yeah, it's weird that Willow's there. It's weird that they're all there because you pointed out this is like not a school day. It might be a school day. Like, they keep talking about how it's Christmas break, but maybe this was like the last day of school. Yeah. Otherwise, I don't know why Willow's just coming to the library to see who's there to hang out. Yeah. She just walks in. She's like, what are we doing? Willow mentions to Buffy that Oz is coming over on Christmas Eve because her parents are out of town. Are they always out of town? When are they in town? Never. I'm assuming we don't meet her parents. I don't know if we ever do. If we do, it's briefly. She's just stressed out about trying to figure out how to make Oz trust her. 
Angel's still seeing a montage of all the people he killed. I mean, it, it's mostly Jenny, but it sort of shifts into different people, but usually Jenny's the one talking. Reminding him that he was kind of a shitty dude before he was a vampire. Like, he wasn't even a good man. He was just yeah. like a drunk, debaucherous douche whose parents hated him. And he's like, well, I was young. Wasn't he like maybe 25? That's like 50 back then. Yeah. You get married when you're like 15. I, I don't know how old he's supposed to be, but I feel like he appears in his early 20s, at least. But Jenny tells him this is his destiny. We don't exactly know what. Being bad, I guess. The gang is still sleepily studying, and then Buffy just has completely fallen asleep, just on a table in the library. And as soon as I ask you what happens if Angel has a sex dream, we find out. <laughs> it's a very active sex dream they're both experiencing in. Oh no. Oh no. Oh no, 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 no. It's not clear right now if you're reacting to the sex scene or if our cat Kurt is doing something you want him to stop right now. Both. Okay. I want him to stop being so cute. He's sleeping in the little box we keep the mics in. So we're still in the dream. Buffy sees like one of the cultist types that we've been seeing kind of in the corner. And then Angel bites her. So I guess this is not real. He snaps out of it. Jenny tells him to pour all his guilt and frustration into Buffy, which is a weird choice of words considering what we just saw. Well, I mean, I think that's the idea. She's saying like, have sex with Buffy. Yeah, but that's like pretty explicit. And then she says something about drinking her later. Just like, Jenny, this is on pretty early in the evening. And then Jenny tells him that we brought you back and that she wants him to have sex with Buffy so he can be uncursed so that he can kill her. Giles has found some information about a group called the Bringers who worship this like ancient evil called the First. They're basically like the oldest, most powerful, most vague form of evil. They're just evil. They're bad. They're old. Buffy's like, oh yeah, I saw one of those bringers in my dream. And Giles, just like any time Buffy experiences anything sexy, is like, yes, yes, please. I would love to know every detail of that. How did it start? When did it end? Who who came first? Uh, who was on top? That's like the third time that's happened where Buffy's had like some kind of sexual experience yeah. and Giles is like pressing her for details. I feel like he never knows about the sex part. He's yeah, just... this one he had no way of knowing. Yeah. I don't know if it's intentional with the show. I don't think, I don't know. It's funny though. Basically, there's a group of physical people that are like the priests of the first and they can conjure spirits to haunt Angel, I think, is how it's explained. That's Yeah, it's kind of vague. Somehow, whatever they're doing is giving the first the ability to take these shapes. Buffy and Xander go to visit Willie at Willie's bar. And he's like, ah, the Slayer's here and all the vampires leave. It's daytime. I don't know where they're going. Maybe they go to the back or like underground. Yeah, the back goes to underground. Also, Buffy should kill them or just like always be waiting outside of Willie's. Yeah, there's this like thing we keep seeing in the show that I kind of hate where it's like Willie's is a shady place where like shady stuff happens. And it's not like in a movie where there's a cop like, well, that guy over there, like, uh, you know, he gambles when he shouldn't. Or I know he's making some booze. No, it's guys who murder people every day. Yeah. It's not like some stuff you can kind of overlook. Like, you need to go kill those monsters. Maybe it's like a code that she won't kill these vampires, and then she can use Willy to give her information about evil stuff. But then, like, why do evil people trust Willy if they know he's given Buffy information? But also, that's still immoral. Buffy, like, you're getting some information every blue moon from this guy while allowing vampires safe haven. Yeah, it's like the second time she's used this guy, too. Again, vampires kill people every day. Well, night. Yes, maybe day. These seem to go outside. Xander's kind of like playing muscle, trying to help give information. And Willie tells them that the seedy underground folk are being scared off by something even seedier. And then he tells Xander that he did a great job acting intimidating. <laughs> then they go outside. Xander's complaining that it's hot. Everyone keeps talking about how hot it is, but it's in the 70s. That is not like hot. I mean, that's warm for Christmas, definitely by like New York standards. But I feel like that's not hot for California in general. Buffy doesn't know where to start with this, so they just all move on with their holiday plans, I guess. For Willow, that means seducing Oz like a lonely housewife. She's wearing like a sexy outfit, mm -hmm. slow jams playing. She's got a Sprite chilling on ice. Yeah, she's got like two sodas on ice. <laughs> it was one soda, like a champagne bottle. Oz feels awkward. He relates this to like not knowing lines in a play, which you thought was funny because that's something Willow relates to. Yeah, that's like her greatest fear. Apparently Oz has had sex, but he doesn't want to do it with Willow because he thinks she's only doing it out of desperation to try to convince him to be with her. And he's probably right. I don't know that she actually is ready. Maybe. I think she loves him and has convinced herself she's ready, but I do think she's like concocting a way to gain his trust. Oz is a sweet boy. Yeah. 
Buffy and her mom are getting all Christmassy, and Buffy hears a little bit of her and Angel's music, and then her mom's like, Angel's on top again, which snaps Buffy out of the music she's hearing. The Angel's on top again was, did she want to put an angel or a star on top of the Christmas tree? Her mom wasn't like, you dreaming about fucking Angel again? Yes, it was a funny, funny joke, but also a weird thing to say. Yeah. Then Faith shows up. Her fake party got canceled. Buffy goes upstairs to get Faith's gift, and Angel is there in her bedroom. She didn't do the uninvite ritual? It's insane. Buffy, Buffy, I know you trust him right now, but, like, he's been weird the last couple days. Maybe just throw some sage around real quick. He's there to, I don't know, warn her? I don't think he wants to have sex with her, but, like, everything is telling him to. Jenny's there trying to convince him to rape her? Yeah. I mean, that's the... That's what's happening. And he jumps out the window. He's like, I can't process any of this. So I, this thing is messed up. Like, I think we have to remember that Angel's still dealing with, like, having been in hell for 100 years. Is he dealing with the guilt for killing people? I feel like after 100 years, I don't know how much more guilt you're really worried about. But it's just like, oh, there's a lot of crazy stuff that, like, suddenly he just, like, wants to kill Buffy super bad because someone's telling him to. Yeah, has he been dealing with this stuff, like, since he's been back? Are we to believe that? Or is this just happening, like, today? You know, like, we haven't really checked in with Angel on what he's feeling. He keeps saying he's, like, getting better. Right. But it seems like he's not better now. Is this new? It's been, like, four or five episodes. Why is this suddenly happening? Well, the first is giving him those dreams and visions, but I don't know. It's stuff he's dealt with before, so I don't know. This suggests it's his destiny to, like, hurt Buffy. Angel just can't anymore. He's going to sun himself to death. And Jenny says, that's not the plan, but, like, it's fine. And just lets him go stand on a cliff. Buffy leaves Faith with her mom, who's weirdly cool about Buffy helping Angel, considering the last time we saw Faith, she wasn't. But finally, at least we have Buffy being like, oh, maybe this is something we should worry about. Yeah. So she goes to Giles for help. because She's worried they're going to lose Angel. Giles reminds her she might need to kill him. She's like, nah, I don't really do that. And then he reads something about how nothing can grow above these underground priests, which reminds Buffy of the Christmas trees. This is the plot of Stranger Things, she says. Before Stranger Things happens. Stranger Things happens in the 80s, technically. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so Buffy burrows into the ground in her white coat, which stays pristine, and breaks up the little chanting priest party. This is the party Faith was supposed to go to. Oh, she probably went and thought it was kind of lame. Yeah, like, oh, these guys don't have eyes. I'm out. <laughs> Does she kill the dudes? She just kind of hits them all with a stick and then, yeah. like, moves their stuff around. Yeah, well, they hate that. They're, like, neat freaks, so they leave. <laughs> Jenny's there. She's everywhere. And she tells Buffy how evil the first is. The first is everywhere. It's the thing the darkness fears. It sounds pretty bad, but Buffy's just like, whatever. You're evil. She's done that before. I feel like that was one other thing where they were like, we're this big bad thing. She's like, shut up. I'm Buffy. To be fair, from our perspective, the first seems to be suggesting that it's, like, more than, like, Satan. It's, like, the root of all all evil, right? But from Buffy's perspective, every time she meets a demon, they're like, I am unkillable from beyond the time of... And then it's like, actually, a rocket launcher takes you out pretty easy, so... Yeah, totally. I mean, I felt that way, too. And she was, like, saying all this stuff about how evil they are. I'm like, oh, that sounds, like, worse than anything we've yeah. met. But, like, also the judge seemed worse than anything we've met. And I wasn't scared of that at all. I was like, well, this is, like, mid-season. Wait, we're not just going to introduce this new thing so yeah it is kind of like whatever how bad can this be do you think if the first had like knelt down like the judge for two episodes he would have been strong enough yeah that's what they needed to do yeah Yeah. so like i on the one hand i was kind of annoyed that buffy was so like flippant about it but on the other hand i'm like no it's dumb that they're making this sound like it's this big evil thing that we're just like throwing in at the end of an episode Jenny tells her that Angel's going to be dead by sunrise and then morphs into, I don't know, like a big Slimer thing? Yeah, big old bad demon monster looking thing for like a second. Buffy goes looking for Angel, finds him on a cliff waiting for the sun. He says he can smell the sunrise? Is that like Lorelai's snow power? Yeah. I'm thinking Buffy could save him with this giant coat she's wearing. Is that a thing? If the sun were to come out, could she just like throw her coat around his hands and face? Yeah. I don't know why she had this giant coat on. I mean, it's winter, but they set up it's hot. Yeah. Why is she wearing this coat? I thought it was going to like be important to the plot. Angel tells her this thing, whatever he's dealing with, has been showing her who he really is and that he doesn't want to be that again. Buffy wants him to fight. She wants him to go inside. And Angel's like, I can't. I want you so bad. I kind of almost don't care what that does to me. It's not that I'm a demon. It's that I'm a weak man and I just like don't even want to live anymore because what am I? And Buffy kind of implies that maybe this thing, this first, these priests, whatever, are just taking credit for bringing him back. 
back and maybe it is real and it's using him and if that's the case he has power over it regardless don't give up or all you are is a monster like that's all you'll ever be and you can do more if you stay alive you can make amends he doesn't believe her they get into a little fight buffy's like i love you i'm doing my best to figure this all out i tried to kill you i hate that you hurt me but i still don't want you to die it's all very emotional sarah michelle geller's acting the hell out of it david burianis is you know he's there no facial hair for this scene, though, so that's a plus. Yeah. And then she's like, if I can't convince you, I don't know what can. And then it starts to snow. What? It's too warm for that. They've told us repeatedly. It's a Christmas miracle. And this convinces him. Everyone else notices the snow. Everyone else happens to be awake at sunrise time. Yeah, everyone is awake. I mean, I guess Xander gets woken up, but like... Yeah, Xander's in his little tent getting covered in snow. He wakes up. And Joyce and Faith, I guess maybe you could say we're worried about Buffy. Yeah. So they'd be awake. And Willow and Oz don't have sex. They were like are in her bed clothed. So maybe they were just like up late talking and fooling around. It kind of is silly, but it makes sense that everyone would be awake. And then we hear the weatherman telling us about how the snow is only in Sunnydale and there's not going to be any sun today. And Buffy and Angel walk home hand in hand in the fake, fake snow that's like so deep already. In their fake, fake town set. (laughs) (laughs) It just looks like a bunch of like cotton candy got like thrown on the ground. It might even be CGI. Yeah. I was like, what is this? That's not the first time they've made snow (laughs) in this studio. Uh, Yeah, that's the episode. Brian, was it a good one? I am torn for a lot of reasons on this. Some people love this episode. A friend of ours, when we were out recently, said it was one of his favorites. Yeah. I have a lot of issues with it. Yeah. Like, eventually he comes to the conclusion he's going to kill himself. But it's absurd to me to think that, like, Angel thinks about raping Buffy. Like, knowing that will lose his soul and that he'll become a murderer again and do all the things he's terribly guilty for right now instead of just killing himself. This is outside of the plot, but it's also kind of shitty that we're like, let's bring back this guest star that everyone loves to convince Angel to rape Buffy. Yeah. That plot is also nonsensical because I'm like, fine, if you make love with somebody, you might have like a perfect true happiness or whatever. Sure. I'm willing to concede that that's a way to, to a moment of at least of true happiness. But I don't think like reluctantly raping your love of your life is going to give you that moment of true happiness. Right. It, it is tricky. I feel like we keep saying he's going to rape her. And in that scene, I think that was what was implied because he like looks at the bed and like thinks about doing it. And you have to imagine that Buffy's going to be like, we can't do this. Yes. Yes. I don't want to keep throwing the R weight around because it's not a triggering word for a lot of people, but like... It is complicated, though, because Buffy does love him, so probably some part of her wants to make love to him. But I do think in this specific situation, yeah, it's not for fun. Because then they're, like, trying to convince him to kill Buffy because then he'll be evil again. Yeah. And he can be, like, relieved of all this. It's just confusing because it's like the act itself is something that's like Angel wouldn't do. The act itself also wouldn't achieve the goal of making him happy. So it's just sort of nonsensical. And also what happened? The snow? What, who who did the snow? Where did the first go? Is the first still going to be bothering him? <sighs> okay. Some things will happen. Well, um. I'll take that as a yes. Uh, Are you okay? I just have thoughts I can't say. We all do. Clearly a miracle happens. We're supposed to be led to believe that a miracle happens. And I think the implication is Buffy is like, we don't know that the first brought you back. Maybe something else did. Right. And then this miracle happens that prevents Angel from dying. So the suggestion is, I think, even though it's never said, is that some other power either brought Angel back and is now protecting him because it's got a plan for him. Some power that be. Or, you know, the first did bring him back, but this some power that be is trying to protect Angel anyway. That's the, that's signaling to him that he shouldn't kill himself. Yeah. But there's a third option, which is that the first did bring him back, and the first also did this to keep him alive because they, it wants him alive. If the first can do things like bring someone back from hell, it can definitely make a snowstorm. Why do the first care about him? Well, apparently it's got some plan. Don't know what that plan's going to be. Here's what I want to say about this episode. I feel like a lot of stuff is set up with the first and plans for Angel that is not really satisfactorily ever paid off. Mm. Do we, I mean, you don't have to answer this, but we, at this point, still don't know why he came back. Because we don't know if the first actually did it. I mean, I guess, no, we don't know that the first did it. When this episode ends, we don't know why he's back. Correct. We either believe the first did it or, like Buffy suggested, that maybe some other power did it. And nothing really has changed with Angel because he still is sort of tormented and can't be with Buffy. And this is a spoiler, but, like, I feel like we need to talk about it. Cover your ears. 
We also never really get a satisfying answer for why Angel came back. That's annoying. It had something to do with Buffy putting that ring down. Did we ever connect that? Did it? Or was that just... It happened to be that time? For dramatic effect. (laughs) Okay. Don't bring it back if you don't have a reason. If you can't justify it. And there is another reference in the Buffy universe of why Angel may or may not come back. But that reference slash answer is also dubious. So it's... It's not clear, and it's kind of annoying. Yeah, that is annoying. Okay, I'm ready to be done talking about it. Okay. Is there more you want to say? No, the other issue I have is that, like, two episodes ago in Revelations, there's this big thing where everybody is, like, upset about Angel coming back, and Buffy's like, it's not a big deal that I didn't tell anyone you guys are overreacting. But it's like, well, it seems like the biggest, baddest evil of all time purposefully brought Angel back to do terrible things. So maybe it wasn't crazy to be worried about Angel. I want to say this because I posted something on Facebook and a lot of people were like Team Buffy hiding the fact that Angel was back. But we need to understand that from our perspective as viewers, we know Angel has his soul. We know Angel is telling the truth. But the characters don't. They don't know that Angel has his soul back. They have been told that. They have evidence that supports that. But he was gone 100 years in hell. What could have happened in 100 years? Do you think... That, like, the only way to relieve a curse is for him to have sex with Buffy? This, like, they live in a world with magic. <laughs> like, yeah. So I just feel like this episode is, like, kind of should be telling everyone, like, yeah, Angel is somebody we should be worried about, even if he says he's good. That's it. You asked me if I think this is a good episode. Yeah, I did ask you that. Like, 10 and minutes I ago. have to say that, like, I'm torn, but if I put, if I stack everything in a row, I have to say I don't love this episode. I know that's, like, sacrilegious to say to some Buffy fans, but I don't love it. Yeah, I don't know that I did. It was a little confusing. And the moment at the end was nice, but then still confusing. Like, I, I don't really know what we're talking about or what we're doing or who the first is or why the snow came. I think the or first is Or why Buffy's cool. wearing that coat. Yeah. I think the first is actually very cool. Wish we were doing more with that. Sure. Yeah. I just don't know much about it, I guess. And I'm like, what, was Angel dealing with this all along? Is this a recent development? I guess we're led to believe the bringers just showed up in town. Although, like, you'd feel like they would have had to have been there so that the first had power to bring him back from hell in the first place. And why bring him back and then wait a couple months to make him deal with it? Yeah, it's all, what? So, Stacy, which episode do you think was better? Gilmore, I think. It's not like a crazy blowout. It wasn't the best Gilmore Girls ever, but I do think it was very funny Gilmore Girls. I like the stuff with Dean and Jess. And yeah, this one just sort of left me unsatisfied. I will say that what saves this episode is I said it wasn't a good episode because of all the plot issues I have. But I feel like the acting was good uh-huh. and the like drama between the characters was good. Yeah, and I, I definitely loved moments of it. Like I didn't really care that much about the Will and Oz stuff, to be honest. But I, I do like Oz, and mm-hmm. I like how he came across. And I really liked the interaction with Giles and Angel. I mm-hmm. thought that was a cool scene, yeah. even though it doesn't make sense you let him in. So there are definitely moments of it I enjoyed, but I think I liked the overallness of Gilmore Girls more this week. Yeah, I agree. I think Gilmore, Gilmore was just very funny. Mm-hmm. This one wasn't funny, really. No. Not that it had to be. It was a more serious one. I'm going to give this one to Gilmore. Okay. Well, if you guys want to watch along next week, we'll be watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer Season 3, Episode 11, Gingerbread. It's still Christmas? As well as Gilmore Girls Season 3, Episode 11, I Solemnly Swear. In the meantime, we'd love to hear your thoughts on the episodes discussed in this podcast. Do you think Angel looks best with facial hair? No. What do you think Rory and Jasper going upstairs to do? What do you think caused the sudden snow miracle? Which show's snow looked the fakest? Are you Team Jess? Do you like Jess at this point in the show? What's going on with Clara? Does anybody like her? Like her friends, her family? Does anyone like her? Let us know. You can reach out to us by following us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at Gilmore Slayer, where we post all kinds of interactive behind-the-scenes content. If you're enjoying our podcast, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We love hearing from you, and it really helps get our podcast discovered by even more Buffy and Gilmore fans. And if you leave a review, we'll give you a shout-out on an upcoming podcast. For even more comedy content not related to the podcast, follow us at Brian and Stacy. That's Brian with a Y and Stacy with an E-Y. That's right. We also make sketches, play board games, and review movies in a similar style to our podcast. For all that and more, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel, also called Brian and Stacy. If social media is not your thing, you can send us an email at brianandstacyreviews at gmail.com. All right, should we do a cute little goodbye? No, I'm not doing that. Maybe your ex-boyfriend used to do cute little buys for you, but that's not what I do. Jess? Shut your mouth, I'm doing some of my best work here. Milo? Listen, I'm a dead dad now. Or is he the son? He's the dad. He's the dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bye.